Last week, the, uh, the praise team led a, a song that was based on the words from Psalm 133. Our hymn this morning is also based on those words from Psalm 133. I know the, the hymn wasn't uh, real familiar probably to, to many of you, but if you get a chance to, to go back and, and look at the words uh, from that hymn, the, the words are really uh, beautiful and powerful as far as a, a community of people uh, coming together and uh, what a beautiful thing that is. We started last week talking about uh, friendship uh, and, and looking at uh, some biblical examples of people who were committed to one another in, in, in beautiful displays of friendship, especially as our society seems to be combating this, uh, it's been called an, an epidemic uh, of loneliness. And as we start this morning, I am curious to hear uh, what is your definition of a friend? Someone who's there for you through thick and thin. All right, someone who listens. All right, someone who loves you. A confidant. All right, someone who doesn't judge you. Okay. I came across um, a couple of definitions. A British publication once offered a prize for the best definition of a friend. And among the thousands of answers received were some of the following. One who multiplies joys, divides grief, and whose honesty is inviolable. I don't know how to say that word, Kathy. I should have checked pronunciations with you before. Uh, another definition is one who understands our silence. Another definition was a volume of sympathy bound in cloth. Another definition was a watch that beats true for all time and never runs down. These must have been uh, an older publication. Most of us don't have watches that, that run down like that anymore. Um, the winning definition read a friend is the one who comes in when the whole world has gone out. Kind of introduced uh, some of this epidemic of loneliness and this growing um, issue in our society um, at large, uh, but also impacting many of us in the church in uh, frayed and strained relationships, uh, certainly because of the pandemic, uh, but, but even beyond that, uh, these are some, some statistical um, uh, observations that people were making even before the pandemic. Certainly that didn't help things. Uh, our, our continued uh, political division and, and kind of the um, people having uh, opinions that are growing apart from one another and, and our failure to come and, and talk with one another has increased our feeling uh, of loneliness and separation. 
that many around us, and, and I would guess that even some of us within the church are experiencing. Uh, so much so that uh, public health officials have uh, kind of declared this a, a, uh, an epidemic that we are experiencing. We tried to, to show a little bit of this video last week, and we're, I'm crossing my fingers. It worked before the service last week, and it worked after the service last week. It just didn't work in the service, and so far it's worked before the service today. And so we're going to try a, and take a look at this uh, statement from the, the Surgeon General on the epidemic of loneliness. Loneliness is far more than just a bad feeling. Being socially disconnected, which can range from feeling alone to being isolated, is bad both for individual and societal health. Research shows that loneliness and isolation are associated with a greater risk of heart disease, dementia, stroke, depression, anxiety, and premature death. In fact, lacking connection can increase the risk of premature death to levels comparable to smoking daily. Loneliness and social isolation are also far more common than we might realize. About one in two American adults report experiencing loneliness. Everyone can be impacted across all ages, socioeconomic conditions, and geographies. This widespread disconnection presents profound threats to our health and well-being. Social connection is as fundamental to our mental and physical health as food, water, and sleep. And it affects our performance and productivity at work, school, and in our communities. Now is the time to invest in building social connection. This first ever Surgeon General's advisory on our epidemic of loneliness and isolation shows us how. The keys to connection are simple. Answer a phone call from a friend. Invite someone over to share a meal. Listen and be present during conversation. Seek out opportunities to serve others. These steps may seem small, but they're extraordinarily powerful. By strengthening our relationships, we can improve our heart and brain health, reduce our risk of diabetes and high blood pressure, boost our immune systems, and lower our risk of depression. We can build lives and communities that are healthier and happier. And we can ensure our country and the world are better poised than ever to take on the challenges that lie ahead. Visit surgeongeneral.gov connection to learn more. I said it's, it's interesting when you've got a, a government organization um, kind of identifying things that we within the church would say, oh, look, I mean, this has been kind of the heart of what we think the church is about for uh, centuries as far as connecting with one another, being in community together, and having um, a, a greater purpose in following Jesus together. And so it's interesting when uh, they're trying to, to put this together as though maybe it's kind of a, a novel idea. But it does highlight um, that, that we were made to be in relationship with others, we were meant to be in community. Human beings are not uh, supposed to be solitary creatures out on our own. Uh, even those of us who are introverts need to have people around us, need to have interactions, even if that's uh, just a few uh, very close friends that, that we uh, confide in that, that are there for us, uh, that we have those, those deep uh, relationships with. We were meant to be in relationship with one another and to cultivate meaningful friendships. 
Our scripture this morning uh, gives us a look at uh, another of these kind of deep, uh, committed uh, friendships uh, that we see in scripture. And so we're going to be taking a look at this, this story of Ruth. And as we do that, would you pray with me? Jesus, thank you for this community of people, for these brothers and sisters in Christ. And I thank you for some deep friendships that we have, whether uh, in this congregation or uh, other uh, friends outside of the congregation, we thank you for those uh, deep and meaningful relationships. But all of us experience moments, uh, times uh, of loneliness, and I pray that as we uh, look at these biblical friendships, uh, that we might grow in our own relational capacity uh, with others around us. And so now may the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be pleasing to you, O Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. The beginning of Ruth chapter 1 uh, that Jan read for us this morning kind of is giving us an outline, giving us a, a, a background information into Naomi and her life and, and Ruth and how these two uh, women come into connection with one another. And it's interesting, uh, Jan, you did a great job with those names because the men's names in this story are not easy. I'm glad that you know, the rest of the story revolves around Naomi and Ruth, because I can handle those names. Um, also interesting, because uh, twice it emphasizes where this family comes from. Uh, and that's an important part of the story as it emerges, that these people come from uh, Judah, but specifically that they are coming from the town of Bethlehem. As the, the story emerges and unfolds and, and Ruth's life unfolds, that becomes an important detail for understanding some of the blessing uh, that is being poured out on Ruth, this, this Moabite woman. What we are told is that uh, this is a story that takes place during the time of the judges. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua, Judges, all right? So we're early on, it's before the kings, right? This is a time where um, temporarily God would raise up these people to lead uh, the, the nation of Israel for uh, specific uh, crises that would come up. And um, this is during that time, a man from the tribe of Judah from Bethlehem, again, that's a very important detail, uh, and he's experiencing a famine in Judah, in Bethlehem. And because of that famine, uh, his family, his wife and sons move to Moab. Elimelech is the, the patriarch of the family. He dies there in Moab, leaving his wife, Naomi, and sons. The sons were told marry Moabite women, uh, and especially when this story gets written down, which, which is written down um, much later than, than the events of the story, especially when the story gets written down, uh, Moabites were not looked on very positively. 
This was an intermarrying uh, of faith, and so Moabite women were kind of like, we don't really want anything to do with them. And so it's interesting that as this story is told, uh, Ruth, a Moabite woman, is going to be one of the sheroes of the story. The sons marry these Moabite women, and eventually the two sons die, leaving three women widowed. As one commentator says, the rest of the story is what will happen to a woman in a patriarchal society when all the men of the family have died. Naomi packs up to go back home to try and eke out some kind of living among her own people. And the daughters-in-law, Orpah and Ruth, they pack up to go with Naomi. And then Naomi tells them to stay behind, you know, I'm, I'm a widow, I've lost my husband, I've lost my sons, you know, I'm going to have to go back. Things are not looking good for Naomi. She's in a very vulnerable uh, situation within her society without that uh, support system around her. And so Naomi tells her daughters-in-law to stay behind and try to make something of a life among their own people. And at first, both, both women, uh, Orpah and Ruth, they, they protest. They, they want to go with Naomi. But Naomi urges. And so finally, Orpah finally kisses Naomi and leaves. But uh, the text says, Ruth clung to her. And we have this beautiful passage, this beautiful statement of Ruth's commitment Do not press me to leave you or to turn back from following you. Where you go, I will go. Where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people and your God my God. Where you die, I will die. There will I be buried. May the Lord do thus and so to me and more as well, if even death parts me from you. That is a powerful statement of commitment between Ruth and her mother-in-law, Naomi. Proverbs 18.24 says, Some friends play at friendship, but a true friend sticks closer than one sibling. It's kind of the, the display that we see in Ruth here. I think what is interesting to me, and as I, I was uh, reading this passage and sitting with it uh, this week, is that Ruth shows a willingness to accept the fate uh, of going with Naomi before she knows what's going to happen. She's in this life. She is uh, committed to Naomi no matter what happens. And at this point, the story has not gone well. well. I mean, we're in the middle, beginning of chapter one, and it is just, it's falling apart. And this story could go in different directions. Yes, the story is going to go in a very positive direction. There's going to be uh, blessing. There's going to be redemption. And and there's going to be all of that. But at this point, things seem to be falling apart, for certainly for Naomi. uh, Also, for for Ruth, they are in vulnerable positions. And it's at this point, 
low point, at this low moment, when everything seems to have fallen apart, that Ruth is saying, I'm in this with you. I'm in this with you. Where you go, I will go. Where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people. Your God will be my God. You know, may you know, something drastic happen to me if even death parts us. Of course, the story does emerge, um, and it just so happens that Ruth will meet Boaz, her kinsman redeemer, a quality good man who falls in love with Ruth. Ruth and Naomi will find more than they could dare to hope for following the deaths of their husbands and sons. Even more, Ruth will be honored in the genealogies of the line of David and ultimately of the future Messiah. But at this point, none of that is a given. And Ruth is committing herself at possibly the lowest point in the story. Who are the people that are with you and who have been with you at the lowest points of your story? Who are those, those, those blessings, those, those friends closer than a, than a sibling who have stuck by you in some of uh, life's hardest moments? I wonder what causes Ruth to cling so closely to Naomi. Both Ruth and Orpah seem to have had a deep relationship with Naomi. I know sometimes we make jokes about mothers-in-law and stuff like that, but these two women seem to have a deep relationship with Naomi through shared tragic experiences, maybe. They probably had some kind of deep friendship relationship beyond that as well. Orpah had initially wanted to go with Naomi too. Together, Ruth and Naomi, they enter into this vulnerable position within their society. A deep friendship born out of shared loss had bound Ruth to Naomi. And I think there's two qualities of Ruth that seem to jump out at me. First is a kind of a, a dogged determination. Ruth is determined to go with Naomi. I love that, you know, she clung to her. She clung to her. And that, that statement of commitment, I mean, that, that's something we might expect from, you know, a, a marriage ceremony or something like that. Uh, but she is committed to Naomi. And she is determined that she will stay beside her no matter what happens. Later, Ruth is going to go to great lengths to get the attention of Boaz. She's just a very determined person. But even more than her determination is Ruth's self-sacrificial love. Is the... As you read through the story, and I encourage you to read through uh, the whole story, it's, it's not long, uh, and it's, it's, a, it's a good and easy read. If 
can go read that this afternoon or tomorrow before or after your picnics. In that story, Ruth will go out and glean what was left behind uh, harvesters. And the Old Testament gave opportunity for the poor to go and, and collect uh, what was left in the fields or the, the edges of the fields when, when harvest time came. It was an opportunity for them to go and, and to, to feed themselves. And it was, um, it, was, it was a law that those that owned the field, those that were harvesting, were supposed to leave those edges uh, to, to care for the poor and the vulnerable around them. Even with that law, still... Being a widowed Moabite woman, gleaning after a harvest in Israel, put Ruth in a greater place of vulnerability. Remember, Moabite women, you know, that's, that wasn't someone who we really wanted to associate. Moab, you know, they were, they were enemies at different times in Israel's history. And she's going out there, she's, she's marked as a, as a widow, and she's out in, in the fields uh, collecting um, the, the gleanings for her and for Naomi. She cared enough for Naomi that she took Naomi's advice and went to collect food for both of them. I also see a glimpse of that self-sacrificial love in Naomi. For her part, I, I think her giving permission for Orpah and Ruth to stay behind in Moab was also a willingness to, to sacrifice her own well-being for the good of these younger women that she cared so much about. She knew kind of what, what was in store for her as far as the society was concerned. And she was going to go back and, and try and find some distant relatives that would take her in and care for her. And that wasn't what she wanted uh, her, her daughters-in-law, these, these two women that she cared about, that's not what she wanted them to experience. And so she wanted to, to release them to go uh, back among their own people and try and make something of their life. Basically saying, you don't have to go through what I'm going to go through. She was willing to let them have a chance at a better life without obligating them to have the same fate as her. And yet, Ruth clings to her. As the story emerges, because of her dedication uh, because of her boldness, because of her resiliency, uh, Ruth is, is honored. Despite being a, a Moabite woman, she becomes eventually, and I won't you know, try and give too many spoilers so that you go and read the story, eventually she becomes the, the mother of a, of a baby boy. His name's Obed, who will become the father of Jesse, who will become the father of David. And as we read these genealogies and, and you go into the New Testament and it's giving the, the lineage of Jesus, Ruth's one of those women that gets called out in, in the genealogies. A Moabite woman in the lineage of Jesus. You know, we just read through that genealogy and we're like, so-and-so begot, so-and-so begot, so-and-so begot, so-and-so. Like, just get me to the good parts of the story. This is one of those good parts of the story. 
that we've got to slow down and read through some of those names and think about what happened. Why is this woman called out, this Moabite woman, who shouldn't be there in the genealogy? She is. Because of, uh, it's a blessing because of her determination, because of her self-sacrificial love, because of her commitment, because of her resiliency. How do we build these kinds of quality friendships? Last week we looked in the, the story of David and Jonathan and we saw a, a rugged commitment to one another through adversity. <clears throat> Here in Ruth we see a commitment to cling to one another. Commitment is hard and undervalued trait in our world. I was looking at some more statistics of uh, the loneliness and, and um, the trans transition uh, that we experience in our community. You know, workers age 25 to 34 stay in a job on average 2.8 years. And young adults are moving every two years. Now, please, don't blame them. State of high education, job markets, housing markets. But it's a reality that our young people are experiencing. And it's a part of what makes creating these deep, uh, abiding relationships hard. For others in, in different life situations, it might uh, be for, for different reasons why getting out and having these deep, abiding relationships might be difficult for others. Maybe it's being a, a shut-in, not having folks come and visit. These kinds of quality friendships take time. In the story of Ruth and Naomi, the text tells us that Naomi had lived in Moab for 10 years when her sons died. 10 years. We're not exactly sure how long they were, uh, her sons were, were married. But Orpah and, and Ruth had been with her for a long time. This friendship had had time to, to, to build. I don't have a, a magical... Uh, formula for creating deep and lasting, abiding, resilient friendships. It takes time. It takes uh, a commitment from one another to be there through thick and thin, to be there through these difficult times with one another. Not all friendships take 10 years. But the point is that there was a, a commitment over the long haul to be there with one another. There was a self-sacrificial love and care for one another displayed by Ruth and Naomi. We all need friends like Ruth. 
that stick with us through even the, the lowest points of our stories, the lowest points of life. But we also need to be the kind of friend that Ruth was to Naomi. Determined, yes, and having a self-sacrificial love. And here's the thing about self-sacrificial love. It's the kind of love that Christ had. Giving completely of Himself for the good of His friends and for humanity. And this is, of course, the kind of love that we should strive to have for everyone. We should love everyone with that kind of self-sacrificial love. But the truth is that I and you need people, partners that we can practice with. Because it's hard to love everyone all the time with the kind of self-sacrificial love that Jesus had. Maybe that's something that we're, we're striving towards and, and working on. But I need a couple of like practice partners that I can work with. Sometimes I screw it up. Sometimes I am self-seeking, and, and even in my friendships that I care, uh, I care about those friends deeply, um, sometimes I'm just worried about how it affects me. So I need friends that I can count on, that we can practice that kind of self-sacrificial love and care for. Each of us needs that, that, that group around us, a couple of friends that we can work at that together. For some, that might be a spouse. Uh, for all of us, I hope it's also uh, something we have a, a couple of close friends that we can really commit ourselves to and attempt to learn this self-sacrificial love in, in our real world, in the, in the nitty-gritty of life through highs and, and lows, that we can be there for one another, that we can celebrate the, the, the wonderful things that happen. I imagine there was no one uh, celebrating more for Ruth on, on her wedding day, on the birth of her child, than Naomi. They'd been there through the hardest moments of life. So it made their celebration, I think, probably that much greater. To have that kind of deep, lasting, committed friendship with one another. May we all find the kind of friend that Ruth was. And may we all learn and grow to be the kind of friend Ruth was. Our hymn of response this morning is out of the blue hymnal number 420. It's heart with loving heart united. Would you stand as we close in this hymn?